Welcome to Teacher Talk with Chrissy Nichols, the podcast that offers real tools and real conversations to help you feel good about teaching and yourself again. As a teacher who has spent more than two decades in the classroom, I get it. I know you have a lot to do, so if you need help right now, book a free consult call at www.thechrissyconcept.com. That's the C-H-R-I-S-S-Y-C-O-N-C-E-P-T dot com. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Teacher Talk with Chrissy Nichols. I'm Chrissy Nichols. And today we feature another spotlight on an ordinary history high school teacher, Dylan Essen, who is doing some pretty extraordinary things. Dylan Essen grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and earned his PhD in history at the University of California, Berkeley. He has been a teacher for 12 years in independent schools, mostly in grades 6 through 12, and teaches everything from human geography to social studies to AP history. Dylan specializes in helping students develop critical thinking skills and stay curious about their own thinking and about history. Dylan is also dad to two gorgeous girls, loves to ski, mountain bike, swim, garden, and read. In this conversation, Dylan and I discuss the challenges of reaching those hard-to-reach students while keeping academic rigor high and how he takes care of himself throughout the school year. Dylan also has some pretty cool suggestions for ways that the world can support teachers. Enjoy this interview with Dylan Essen. Hey, everybody. Chrissy Nichols at Teacher Talk, and I am in conversation today with Dylan Essen. Dylan, thanks so much for coming to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to be a part of it. Thank you. In these little highlight spotlight, teacher spotlights, Dylan, I love to just spotlight a teacher who is doing amazing things, and that is you. Tell us a little bit about what you do, who you teach, what first drew you to teaching, <laughs> all of that. Yeah, so currently I'm, I'm a ninth grade teacher teaching human geography, and that's something that wasn't initially something I thought I would want to teach but it's a wonderful class. I think about what drew me to teaching was I was in graduate school and you have to teach certain, or you have the opportunity to teach sections. And I was a very, very shy person. And I got the chance to teach a bunch of what seemed like peers because we were only two years difference. And I had to talk and I found it really exciting to share ideas and to kind of learn together in a way. And that was what initially drew me and actually kept me going through the graduate program was just kind of an excitement about, I don't know, I guess just engaging with students. I always sort of struggle around what keeps me going or what, I don't know, what what I love about teaching. It's always sort of evolving, but that's where I'd be sort of what draws me to it. Currently, I am, again, at a kind of switched schools recently, and I'm 
again, I think have some new opportunities to teach, uh, I guess you just say, a much more diverse school. And it's been really exciting to see kind of where my blind spots are with assumptions about student preparation, how to connect with students. There's a little more challenge there. And so it feels great for the first time in a long, long time. I feel like excited about teaching. I found myself kind of coming back and thinking like we always do, but sometimes you get a little, I don't know, stale and try some new things out and uh, a little more willing to fail. I think that's what my big thing this year is like, yeah, let's try some stuff and let's just be kind to ourselves when it doesn't work. I love those two thoughts that you just kind of offered to all of us. Let's just try some stuff and let's be willing to fail. I think that staying in curiosity around our own teaching practice, and you mentioned some of those blinders, really we're so aware of them when we do change environments, when we do change schools. But you just were talking about investigating some of your biases around a new student population, things that you thought you know, prejudices or biases that you had. Can you speak more to that about how you kind of even have aha moments for yourself around like, oh, right, I think I had a thought that these students were like this or that this lesson would work in this way. How how do you stay kind of in your own consciousness around your own teaching practice? Yeah, I think one thing just kind of just generally that has surprised me as student motivation. I think I think at times I've assumed that everyone could be motivated in the same ways by grades at certain points by negative consequences and I haven't encountered students who are so capable and at times for whatever reason so uneven in their performance and how to connect to students and trying to understand. Again, when I have twice as many students now as I had previously, so you don't have as much time to get to know kids, but you'll pull a student aside and say, hey, you know, you're fully capable. Like this should be really something that you could do well and do with moderate effort. You're not that it has to be easy, but that you just can be consistent. And then you find out, oh, right, they're taking care of their three-year-old sister, twin sisters after school every day, you know? So I guess there's an assumption about, I think, so long in in independent schools, depending upon where you teach, that kids have a lot of time after school and that they'll get their work done. I guess I don't know if that's put quite correctly, but I forget how demanding life can be outside of school. And so especially as I closed my first year, I was talking to a colleague of mine and you know, he said, homework just measures your support system at home. And it's something I've always kind of recognized. But I also feel like after nine months, I've really found myself frustrated for not figuring that out earlier. And so at the end of the year, again, feeling like, how do I anticipate the demands that certain students have? So, and the other thing, I think there's certain little things that are really interesting when you do with a a very diverse group of students, especially ninth grade, is how uncertain they are of themselves, which has been really interesting. And I don't know how even appropriate it is to talk about, but I hear like certain of my students who are black talking about when to use the N-word. And I know it's just something like, again, the old school I came from, that would never come up, of course, but... Again, trying to figure out their identity and how to 
to act in the hallways in a different way. You know, I'm at a high school where you gather 26 different schools and kids are trying to figure out the identity. It was, you know, you always know that kids have so much on their mind and thinking about what they're really thinking about while they have to do your work. So, yeah, I don't know. Along those lines, I, I find it fascinating. And then there's the technology. I think that's the other thing. I thought I understood how to deal with technology, and I'm finding it much, 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 much more difficult than I ever thought. It's, Why do you think that is? Boy, I don't know. It just, it, to, to sound like every other teacher for the past hundred years, it's like, you know, it's the new, new thing. You know, I um, was listening to a radio broadcast a couple of weeks ago about how radio was initially thought to be like rotting kids' minds because it would keep them up late listening to the radio. And I feel like I'm a broken record now to say that the phones are, but it's certainly, it is, it is there in a way that I can't fully understand. I'm able to put it down and it's, I think it's, I don't know. I think that and COVID and a couple of things, you can't tell which is exacerbating which. If COVID made you more reliant on your technology than previously or what? I think you hear a lot of those comments. So, Well, you did mention COVID, and I love what you said sort of about homework and a colleague, colleague saying that that is measuring the support that students have at home and all of your ahas around kids are busy and kids have full lives. I really hear that respect that you also hold for your students, you know, in high school. And I just want to ask, what do you think your colleagues and other teachers, and of course you, what do you think you're struggling with most right now? I know we're ending up the year for you, sort of wrapping everything up, but what do you think teachers are struggling with right now? I think across the board, it's classroom management. And really, I hear this from a lot of different places, but like kids just being comfortable not doing anything. Um, I've been surprised you know, talking to friends who teach, you know, in other states, in other, you know, in college or whatever, talking about just nobody really working hard or completing work. Like there's a certain kind of comfortableness with that. And I think we're all sort of looking at each other, trying to figure out, you know, I have a huge number of students right now who are, who are failing like an actual like percentage. <laughs> and my vice principal has come in a couple of times. She says, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. You know, we're concerned about this, but then these students, they're just not doing their work. Like this is something we haven't seen before. And how do you get them to do their work? And that's something that I, again, I thought you could motivate in different ways. And I've just been surprised even with emails going home that there hasn't been a, a turnaround. And yeah, I think that's that's a real prevailing thing. And then just the, again, behavior where you hear this all the time, you know, COVID, you know, messed school up and kids are acting out in different ways they weren't before. I don't know how much I buy that, but it's like in terms of a cause, but I certainly see it in terms of what is in the classroom and how kids are interacting with each other. I don't know, there seems to be something that was exacerbated over the past couple of years. I think you bring up a really interesting conversation that's coming at my school where I've recently been doing a maternity cover in addition to coaching, which puts me back in 
the trenches, so to speak, with my colleagues, but our conversations are around student apathy, a new term that I think is kind of popping up, which is just this idea of languishing, kind of this sort of academic or rational thinking purgatory of them, some students, not all, just not seeing the purpose for anything. And all of us, I think we're really looking at how to adjust our current tools to reach those hard-to-reach students that are even harder to reach now. And some of the, our tricks in our bag that we've used for 20 years, 30 years, 15 years, are just not working anymore. And it's interesting to hear, even at your parochial school where you are and have newly shifted, that that is also, that's a thing. So for everyone out there who's also feeling that they're just having a struggle reaching the hard-to-read students, I think that's what's <laughs> what's coming up in this conversation here, too. Yeah, and I, I, I keep thinking about this, too, because... I watched a piece just on TikTok as, you know, being, you know, 40 something, not really, you know, (laughs) knowing what's going on there and trying to figure out culturally what are kids picking up on that is so real to them and what are we not seeing? Do you have an answer to that, Dylan? I don't, but I, I mean, I just watched, I think it was a Vice News piece on TikTok and watched as, you know, these kids made a bunch of like random movements and have 3 million followers and are making lots of money. That's right. And and then the kids come into my class and I tell them that somehow doing all these things is going to be helpful. And they know it's not true because working hard doesn't seem to lead as easily to success as perhaps doing some of these other things. I had a student in class who said, I'm just going to be a YouTube influencer, madame. I don't need French. Yeah. And I thought, I, that is very real for her. Like That is something that she is striving to do. And I, I think it's, it's something that you know, I don't feel like we fully dealt with the, the letdown that students have felt in watching everything they're taught in school be upended politically as leaders you know do all the things you weren't supposed to do and yet and remain popular and powerful and i think that's a tough one to to tell students no this is how you're supposed to be and they're like nope i'm gonna go against the grain i'm gonna do what i want to do and i i wonder about that so i don't know that there's any magic fix but i do i do think about how students are thinking about their path forward and whether or not school actually fits in it for them at all. Mm. Finally, Dylan, if you could wave a magic wand, (laughs) the biggest, the biggest question ever, but if you could wave a magic wand, what do you think would make an educator's job easier right now? Yeah, I would love to, to really shake up the school day. What do you mean by that? Like the way we teach, the way we structure the day, it's brutal. And I, I don't, I mean, there's obviously, <laughs> this is the magic wand part. It's not going to happen because there are too many stakeholders. But, you know, you look at a school day and think about what has to be accomplished. And then when it ends, and if you're a high performing student, what also needs to happen 
after school, kind of school 2.0, it'd be nice to see something that was more flexible, that was, you know, not only in terms of the periods of the day, but what you're doing with your time, student autonomy, and more time for teachers, of course, to be more like responsive to what's going on in the learning each day. I think the number of teaching books that I've read and thought about, and you get so excited and you think, God, of course, that's the way to do it. I just need two hours of prep every day. And I mean, two hours of sacred time. That would be and two hours for the other thing. I mean, it's really working a half, you know, teaching half day and then prepping and doing administrative stuff the rest of the day. And I just, I wish there were a way to do that because I think we all know that being able to, to really be flexible would be just phenomenal. And also just getting rid of sports <laughs> in schools. I feel like that. I love, I love it. I love it motivates certain students, but oh my goodness, it just wears kids out. What I'm seeing right now, I see kids come in, you know, just ragged. And it's for somebody who loves athletics, I'm like, gosh, can we just, can we put that in the school day too? Cause it, it feels like there's just too much, but it was kind of a random little tag on there at the end. But no, it's so interesting what you're describing. I know you've spent quite a lot of time traveling in Europe and I have spent a lot of time teaching in France and in Europe. And you just make me think of. It's so interesting. Some models in European schools are no sports and that's okay. You do that on a different season or or on the weekends only. And so there's less of this perfectionistic sports culture that by, you know, 17 or 18, we need to be drafting kids at a highly professional adult level. And also every six weeks, there's a break for everybody. <laughs> and also, <laughs> often on Wednesdays, there's no school. So the year is longer, of course. In France, students don't get out of school until the first week in July. And that would be, and go back to school at virtually the same time, which is late August, early September. And that's different. That's a different kind of cultural thing. But I love your thoughts. And thank you so much for coming to the podcast and telling us about your your struggles and your wins and the challenges that you think students are facing. I really appreciate this conversation with you, Dylan. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chrissy. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We've been in conversation with Dylan Essen. And please stay tuned for the next episode of Teacher Talk. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's episode, teacher friends. If this podcast speaks to you, please share it. Share Teacher Talk with one teacher or administrator or educator in your life. To continue the conversation and have life-changing tools and resources sent directly to your inbox, join my weekly newsletter, Teacher Talk, at www.thechrissyconcept.com. That's the C-H-R-I-S-S-Y-C-O-N-C-E-P-T dot com. There, you can also book a consult with me. That's a one-on-one conversation to see if coaching might be just what you're looking for. Sometimes one call is all it takes. Have a great day in and out of the classroom, my friends. We'll see you next time.